0: Welcome, folks, to another episode of the Out of Water Podcast. My name is Sam kasten Smith, and I'll be your host today. Joining me is Will Bushman. Hi, Sam. How are you doing? I'm doing great. You ready? School is starting. Today, as we record, all the teachers are back on campus. Morgan is back, yeah. prepping up for a year. What's that mean for the uh, Bushman household? A little chaos, I think. Yeah. But a good chaos.
1: Like having to get up earlier and figure out. Yeah, school schedule stinks. <laughs> like to be moving that quickly is tough in our home, but we're getting there. I think Everett's going to be ready to jump back into the nursery. Yeah, I wish Everett knew that she was going back in because she would have been so excited this week. Obviously, I can't tell her that, but she's so ready to be at a place because she looks at us all, you know, during the week, and she's like, "Is no one else coming here? If, <laughs> if it's just Morgan and I." She's like, "She's ready for the party." Yeah, she's used to fifty people. Yeah. you know, she's used to walking around church and just seeing everybody. So she's. She's, she should be excited.
0: Yeah, it's coming up right around the corner. Always sneaks up how crazy the summer flies by. So we are jumping in today into Exodus chapter 5, and we're going to go through the first half of chapter 6 and spare you the genealogy of, of chapter 6. So we got a chapter and a half that we're going to to work our way through to advance the narrative before you get into the great contest between Yahweh and the gods of Egypt and Pharaoh and and all the excitement that comes with the plagues and, and what they mean. Uh, but today, this is going to be where Moses confronts Pharaoh for the first time. Mm-hmm. So he is, is coming face to face. And if you remember just kind of working backward through Moses' calling from God, you get the sense that he's very wounded. Like we talked about this, how he ran from Egypt after killing the Egyptian and burying him in the sand and we know that the hebrews kind of turned on him not only did they not want to follow him and his you know staged revolution but they actually tell on him <laughs> to pharaoh and say you know he killed an egyptian cuz pharaoh finds out about it and decides to kill moses and so he runs away spends 40 years with his father-in-law he hasn't circumcised his children which hence to you that he's walked away from the covenant. I don't, I don't know how else to interpret that, either through bitterness and anger and resentment, or he's kind of looked at Zipporah and said, all right, we'll do things the Midianite way because my identity as a Hebrew is not important enough for me to lead on this. And, well, your dad's a priest, so we'll just, we'll just go ahead and yield to you. But in either case, he's kind of walked away from the importance of the claim of faith on his life which is really, really interesting. And so when God comes to him in the burning bush, Moses is totally fascinated with it. He he recognizes that there's something otherworldly about it. And then God says, hey, I'm calling you into mission. And Moses bends over backwards and does all kinds of gymnastics (laughs) to try to convince God you got the wrong guy. Like, uh, not me. Like, who am I? He's asking all these questions. You know, I'm slow of speech. I've... I got all these problems, God. And really, when God makes accommodations for all of it, Moses is like, just send someone else. You know, please, just send someone else. And God will not relent from sending Moses on the mission. And you get the sense that Moses is terrified personally of what it might mean for him. I don't even know. Yeah, I mean, I'm sure he's terrified to go stand in front of Pharaoh and what Pharaoh might do to him with a weapon or something. But I think, honestly, Moses is probably more hurt for from what the last attempt did. I get that sense. Like, he does not want to jump back into this. And God is assuring him, they're going to listen to you, right? And so we ended chapter four with Moses and Aaron going in front. Aaron is going to be his spokesman. God made that accommodation. And by the way, like, do, do we talk about this on the podcast when when moses is like i'm i'm slow of speech i i i i, I you know i don't know what i'm going to say and he god says fine you know i think that it had to do with foreign language but he says i'll allow aaron to go with you and he can speak and god says this really weird thing do we talk about that how god allows moses he says you'll be like god yes. and aaron will be your prophet about how that is a reflection of what god has to deal with no i don't think you got into
1: it we just explained that
0: because Aaron, if you know the rest of the story of the Bible, is going to be this intermediary between Moses and the people, who's constantly causing Moses headaches. It's like, yeah, he's not good at it. He's <laughs> as the high priest, you know, he's building the golden calf, and <laughs> the people are rebelling against real him. Stuff and going on. He's not a favorite. He's not a fan favorite of the people. And he's kind of obstinate, and a lot of the times he's going to be faithless. And so now rethink that. God looks at Moses and says, okay, you're going to be like God, and Aaron's going to be my, your prophet, right? The prophet. Which means what? Moses
1: has to deal with Aaron.
0: You're doing to me yeah. what Aaron is going to do to you. Like you're obstinate, stubborn, constantly getting in the way and mucking my plans up because you're unwilling. Like Aaron is going to now do that to you. So... I always used to read that, like, Aaron, Moses, you're going to be like God, and Aaron's going to be your prophet, like God is giving them a promotion, both of them, which is true. But then, in the metaphor, Moses is the Aaron. He's the obstinate one, and Moses is going to figure out what it's like to have a, a spokesman <laughs> who's stubborn, like like Moses is out of the gates here.
1: Yeah, I think it must be like feeling for. When you become a grandparent and your kid finally has kids and you yeah. just watch them go yeah. through what you, they put you through and you're like, yeah, <laughs> this is how you were as yeah, a toddler. Yeah, becomes entertaining. Yeah, you were awful as a toddler. So this is what, so like, I assume it's kind of like that.
0: And so when they go back and they talk to the Hebrew elders, they listen. And everything that God said was going to happen happens. And at the end of chapter 4, you've got all of the Hebrews who are finding out that God has heard their prayers, that he sees them, and they are filled with gratitude and they bow their heads and they worship. And at the end of chapter 4, man, like it seems like we're on the up and up. And then you get to chapter 5 and nothing goes the way that Moses expects it to. And so, like, a personal application here for everybody who's listening. When you are struggling to obey a calling or, you know, some some part of obedience that God is saying, you need to lay down that addiction, you need to lay down this besetting sin, you need to commit your life to me, and you start doing the negotiating dance with God like Moses did, well, I, I don't think I'm, you know, now's not a good time or whatever, and finally you act out in obedience and you do what God has called you to do, like you expect things to go well, right? You expect, you know, God's got to come through. I'm doing what he's asked me to do. So he owes me protection and blessing and favor and everything should go right. And you know, that's got to be Moses's heart here. You know, like I didn't want to leave the Midianite wilderness, but I did for you, God. Now you owe me success. And so, at first, he gets it.
1: Things are going well. Which then, is almost worse. Yeah, Because right. he's tasted <laughs> like, oh, no, everything's going to be okay. Like, he's not yeah. looking around anymore. Like, the Hebrews are going to stab me in the back. Everything's right. good.
0: Yeah, it's, everything is going to be great, right? Well, here comes chapter 5. So verse 1, it says, afterwards. So the people are all bowing and worshiping. Moses has a lot of, you know, momentum and wind at his back. Afterward, Moses and Aaron went and said to Pharaoh, so that's just awfully like flippant but imagine walking into the presence of pharaoh cuz you don't get to just walk into the presence of pharaoh you've got to announce that you're coming you know moses has been a fugitive for 40 years he has no idea what this new pharaoh is going to do you know his dad wanted to kill moses this would have been terrifying so good on moses for having the faith and the courage to go do this and so they went in and said to Pharaoh, thus says the Lord, the God of Israel, let my people go that they may hold a feast to me in the wilderness. So here's Moses' long pause, like, okay, what, what's going to happen? And remember, God has already told him, like, I'm going to harden Pharaoh's heart. There's, yeah. I'm going to lead people out with signs and wonders. So Moses has to know that this isn't going to be Pharaoh going, all right, great, see yeah. ya. So he knows there's going to be some, some bruises and bumps along the way. And Pharaoh said, who is the Lord that I should obey his voice and let Israel go? And I was reading a commentary like when Moses was called, remember Moses' first question was, was, who am I? And then he says, who are you? This is the Pharaoh's first instinct is, who is the Lord? I mean, that's really, that's a great question. Like, who is the Lord? Because if he's Got claim to my life. If he's the infinite God of the universe, then I owe him my obedience. But Pharaoh doesn't believe any of that. And so it's like, who's the Lord that I should obey his voice and let Israel go? I don't know the Lord. And moreover, I will not let Israel go. And then they said, so it's like, repeat, just in case you didn't hear it the first time, we're going to come back to the negotiating table and, and repeat what we want. They say the God of the Hebrews has met with us. Please let us go a three days journey into the wilderness that we may sacrifice to the Lord our God lest, and this is interesting, lest he fall upon us with pestilence or with sword. And so what Moses is not doing here is saying, hey, Pharaoh, God has told me that if you're obstinate and you stand against us, he's going to unleash by the power of his mighty right arm all sorts of plagues that are going to fall upon you, right? what's the language here what did he just say if you don't let let the people go then he's going to fall upon
1: us all of us
0: yeah with the pestilence and the sword and I don't know if he's referring to the Hebrews or all of us including you Pharaoh but it's like Moses starts hedging his bets here when he's in front of Pharaoh and I don't think this is what God said God didn't say hey Moses go tell pharaoh that if he doesn't listen to me i'm gonna punish you (laughs) you know like what's the incentive for for pharaoh to be like oh no if if i don't let the people go god's gonna punish you why would pharaoh care but you get the sense that moses kind of i i think he's hedging his
1: bets here just a little bit from the gravity of this moment and you get walking in this guy's presence i mean what god said is like i mean that was a lot yeah Oh yeah, like it would be tough to say that to pharaoh upon first meeting. So yeah, you would feel it. like this is going to be a certain death sentence. Yeah, like you I'm, said, I'm walking out here without my head. That yeah. kind of thing.
0: Yeah. And remember, like in in Egypt, the Egyptians believe that pharaoh is not just a king. He's a divine god who is in the presence of all the Egyptian pantheon and and like and everybody believes it. Now Moses what's interesting is Moses has a scene behind the curtain. You know, he's seen Pharaoh without all the regalia on. He's seen Pharaoh at his worst, at his most human. And so he, I'm guessing he probably knows a little bit more than the average person who sees Pharaoh as this, you know, revered figure. But he also knows that Pharaoh does not tolerate dissent. They can't afford to in an autocratic regime. And so he's hedging his bets because he knows this could end badly. Remember, he had to run last time for his life. He knows Pharaoh has no issue just killing him. And so the king of Egypt said to them, Moses and Aaron, why do you take the people away from their work? Get back to your burdens. And now what's interesting is if you're Moses and you hear that, because it's plural, like when you look there at get back to your burdens, it's this is uh, plural, which means Aaron, yeah, I know you're a slave, but Moses, guess what? Get back in there. Yeah, you're you're not going anywhere. You're a Hebrew with them. So it's not like Moses can say, no, 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 I'm going back to Midian. No, I'm I'm camping outside. (laughs) Yeah. So Pharaoh's like, your lot is with them. Get back to your plural burdens. And so he is seeing this as you're just distracting people from their labors. And that's the only thing that they're worth for me. And so it says, and Pharaoh said, Behold, the people of the land are now many, and you make them rest from their burdens. And so I want to just really quickly pause there because this is meant to show you a difference between our God and every other god who's ever existed. You know, when if you go back and you look at the Babylonian myths or pretty much any mythology of the ancient world from this time period or before, they all believed that the gods used to take care of the earth. But then they wanted to rest and they wanted to find a leisure. So they created man to become their slaves for them so they could find rest. And so in all of these cultures, you never had anything remotely resembling a Sabbath because their worth wasn't in themselves. Their worth was in whatever they could produce, however hard they could work. And so Pharaoh is saying, look, your only value to me is work and now you're making the people rest. And that can't happen because they're only valuable to me, as I said, if they're working. And when God finally delivers them, what he does not say is get these people to work. Like he he takes them to, to Sinai and he makes sure that they understand that at least one day a week they have to rest. So it's the first time in the world where you find a God who comes to his people and says, I'm commanding you to rest, which is wild. Because what does that mean? Your value is not in what you produce. Your value, and by the way, your value is not just in the fact that you rest. What are you called to rest doing? Well, keeping the Sabbath holy and spending time with the Lord. And so that's just awesome that God is saying, hey, I don't, I don't want you to just labor away. The most important thing about you is you, not your labors. I want you to come rest and spend some time with me. And so this is radically different than anything that these Hebrews had ever experienced, especially in Egypt where you got to think about this. For 400 years, seven days a week, they worked. There was no rest. The the monotony of labor was all they knew. And so verse 6, it says, That same day Pharaoh commanded the taskmasters of the people and their foremen, You shall no longer give the people straw to make bricks. As in the past, let them go and gather straw for themselves. But the number of bricks that they made in the past, you shall impose on them. You shall by no means reduce it for they are idle. In other words, like this proves that they're lazy. If they have time to sit around and complain and they're going off trying to figure out mutinies and finding people to come and negotiate with me for time away, like apparently they have too much time on their hands to sit around and complain. So we're going to eat up that idle time. I want them to go get their own straw and I'm not going to reduce the quotas. And so this would have been like crushing therefore they cry, let us go after and sacrifice to to our God. Well, let the heavier work be laid on the men that they may labor at it and pay no regard to lying words. And so Pharaoh has announced publicly that basically Moses and Aaron has led you all astray and now He's causing misery to fall upon you. All of this labor, everything that you're about to experience, you're already crying out in misery. Well, now it's getting even worse. Yeah, that, that stinks.
1: And this would obviously, people were briefly happy with Moses, but the, the response to this is not going to be good. No, and it's not going to be good. Yeah, so. Verse 10, So the
0: taskmasters and the foremen of the people went out and said to the people, Thus says Pharaoh, I will not give you straw. Go and get your straw yourselves wherever you can find it, but your work will not be reduced in the least. And so now this is important, and you've got you to let your mind enter into the story. So the people were scattered throughout all the land of Egypt to gather stubble for straw. And so when they're scattered all over the country and they're looking for straw, what it, what it, what's happening? All of the Egyptians have to be known. Like, why are they why are the Hebrews coming over here to gather straw? What's going on? And so, because Pharaoh has made them go out into the highways and byways and all the different lands to get straw, and they're scattered all over Egypt looking for straw. Guess what? News is spreading that there's a contest between Pharaoh and Yahweh. Pharaoh and Moses. And so all of the people are like, okay, here, here are the Hebrews. It's the same kind of thing like when you get to the New Testament and God tells the, the early apostles, I want you to take the gospel to the ends of the earth. When do they finally start spreading out? So when the persecution happens, like after Stephen gets stoned, they scatter and end up going to to the ends of Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth only after that. And so here, you have God who's using Pharaoh's arrogance and his own persecution of the people to begin spreading the message throughout the Egyptians that a contest is under underway. And now all of Egypt is like, what's going on? There's a, there's a skirmish coming between the Hebrews and the Egyptians. Do you buy that? Yeah. Makes sense. Verse 13, the, the taskmasters were urgent saying, complete your work, your daily tasks each day, as when there was straw. So One interesting thing is one of the, uh, the, the wall paintings of a guy named Rechmeyer, I think he was a vizier of the pharaoh at this time, shows him sitting with people making bricks and in the, in the artwork in his tomb, and you see the guy holding the whip, and he uses the language. He says, do not be idle, for I have the whip in hand. And so he's calling out their idleness, and he's threatening the whipping. And so we have that from this time period during the reign of, of that that would have been Thutmose III, but you get the same sense from history that you're finding in this passage, which is kind of cool. And so it says, "...the foremen of the people of Israel, whom Pharaoh's taskmasters set over them, were beaten." And we're asked, why have you not done all your task of making bricks today and yesterday as in the past? And so they're working and working and slaving and slaving and rushing and they cannot keep up and they're exhausted and they're getting beaten. And so you can imagine they were already desperate and crying out to the Lord. And now it's gotten worse that God has gotten involved. I love that the scriptures don't hide this. It's not like God shows up and here comes the message of salvation and life gets easier. It gets noticeably worse at first, you know? Like God's God's calling you away from the status quo. He's calling on a rebellion to tyranny and a rebellion against this slavery that he is going to lead them on, and initially it's absolutely terrible.
1: Can you relate to that? Yeah, because they're living in a world that wants nothing to do with God. Mm Mm-hmm. So in order to worship God, Pharaoh's obviously not going to let that happen easily. And I think the gods of this world don't let that happen easily in our lives either.
0: Yeah, and get, the first ask is, hey, we just want to go on a three-day trip out into the wilderness. Which makes me wonder, like if Pharaoh had said, all right, go for it. Like what would God, God's not going to stop there. He's not okay with slavery. He's, he's going to continue on his mission to bring redemption. And the the sole point of that is that God is pointing out that Pharaoh is entirely unreasonable and wicked. You know, no matter what the offer would have been, Pharaoh refuses to surrender an inch to the Lord or his people. This is a a thoroughly wicked man. And so here you have, you know, the 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 preachers show up, right? And they're like, "Hey, we've got salvation for you." And a whole bunch of people do the altar call and they're worshiping God and then (laughs) life doesn't improve overnight, things get dramatically worse, which I don't know what it is about that, but it feels, and I mean, the obvious answer is that it's some kind of like satanic attack or it's a demonic spiritual attack. But whenever in life I have these moments where I feel spiritually exhilarated or we get some big victory or there's some campaign that just, Feels like a big win for the kingdom, there's almost inevitably like some hardship that comes. Mm -hmm. It challenges you. It 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 you know, I can remember like before baptisms of kids, there would always be massive upheaval in life or something. (laughs) Like it was just weird to where it would like take you out of a mindset to really engage something that's sacred and beautiful with joy, and it would make you upset and it's like you feel like as a spiritual warfare like here you have all the people that have just you know been bowing and worshiping god and feeling like finally he sees us he knows us he's coming to bring deliverance we're in you know they're doing the altar call in a sense and now things are worse and so what do they do verse 15 then the foreman of the people of israel came and cried to pharaoh who do they go to they they don't go to who moses And they don't go to Aaron and they don't go to God, right? Like every bit of this is like, okay, so now you have just the tyrant has clamped down on us and, and made our lives far harder. It's not Moses who did it. It's not Aaron who did it. It's not God who did it. It was Pharaoh who did it. And the people of Israel came and cried to Pharaoh, Why do you treat your servants like this? And so they're throwing themselves at his feet like, We're your servants. This is our identity. Like, Why are you treating us like this? We're yours. No straw is given to your servants. Hear that again. Yet they say to us, Make bricks, and behold, your servants are beaten, and the fault is your own people." But Pharaoh said like and you get like I don't care that you consider yourself my servants you stop working and you mean nothing to me he says you are idle you are idle that is why you say let us go sacrifice to the lord go now and work no straw will be given you but you must still deliver the same number of bricks and so matter no matter how much they plead and cry to pharaoh They're only valuable to him for their work. He has no interest in helping them, and yet they're throwing themselves at his feet saying, your servants, your servants, your servants. So verse 19, the foremen of the people of Israel saw that they were in trouble when they said, you shall by no means reduce your number of bricks, your daily task each day they met Moses and Aaron who were waiting for them as they came out from Pharaoh. And here is something that I think is really actually helpful. As they came out from Pharaoh and they said to them, the Lord look on you and judge because you have made a stink in the sight of Pharaoh and his servants and have put a sword in his hand to kill us. And so right out of the gates here, like Not only do they not go to God with their petitions, not only do they not go to Moses or Aaron to be like, hey, this isn't going well, like help. They go straight to Pharaoh. They they pledge loyalty to Pharaoh. We're your servants, your servants, your servants. But now when they do see Moses, who's just being obedient to God, and Aaron, who's just being obedient to God, I mean, that's been proven with all the signs that they did in front of the people that the Lord is in this, and what are they doing? They are furious, furious with Moses and Aaron. And this, again, (laughs) I want you to stop for a moment and think, go back to the Sinai wilderness, right? Where Moses is having it out with God and he's like, man, the last time I went to defend and to try to liberate these people, it didn't go well. They went to Pharaoh and told on me and turned on me and ran to Pharaoh, and the, the, the attempt at salvation fell failed. Everything fell apart, and I felt totally alone. Like All that grief that happened for Moses' first intervention, what's happening right now?
1: It's back, yeah.
0: It's the same story, and so now I want you to stop for a moment because, uh, gee, can you relate to this? We're God calls you into ministry, and you get the snot beat out of you by ministry or circumstance or whatever it is, and God says, okay, okay, pick pick yourself up, brush yourself off. I want you to go back into the ministry field, and rather than God giving us some pie in the sky, you know, I'm going to make it roses and sunshine and daisies, and you're just going to skip around, and everyone's going to follow you like Pied Piper, Moses even with God, because the first time he did it, he did it without God's calling, and now even with God's calling, there's still hardship and suffering at the hands of the people that he's been called to rescue. Hmm. And it's like God doesn't spare him from that. And he's, God is going to teach him a humility that in ministry, even when the calling and anointing of God is on you, There are some times when the flock that you are desperately trying to rescue will bite you. And I remember having a conversation with uh, somebody who was struggling with addiction and it was a, we went out to dinner and it was me, a wife, and husband. The husband had a really, really, really bad addiction issue and the wife was having in some sense an intervention by bringing the pastor and we sat and we talked about the, the dire nature of this addiction and how it was not, not only destroying his career path, but it was also wrecking their marriage. It was wrecking the view of his kids of him. He was trading a lot of stuff in to be able to hold on to this addiction and the wife through tears is pleading with him to get help. And I thought for sure he's going to he's gonna crumble. He's going to humble himself. I don't know if he'll actually do it in the long run, but he got angry as could be, and he lashed out at her, and it was like, you know, you are not for me, and you're doing this, and you're, you know, and it was like, for whatever reason, this passage reminds me of what it's like to do counseling with somebody who's in the deep throes of addiction. Because this is almost, and if you've ever walked with somebody who has a deep attachment to a particular sin or somebody who's really, really deep into the throes of addiction, and you come and you love that person, like you you want the absolute best for that person, and you come and you say, hey, I am coming with a message of salvation I'm here to help. I'm here to bring God's, you know, intervention to rescue that you from this destructive way of life. Never does that intervention start with the person who's enslaved going, "Oh, I'm so glad you're here." They will lash and they hate the addiction. They know the addiction's destroying their lives and yet just like the Hebrews run to Pharaoh and say your servant your servant your servant please 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 and he doesn't care about you he's just going to use you up and what who is it that you trash who is it that you you lash out at against as an addict the very people who are coming saying i'm here to help the very people who say i want to see you walking in freedom and I've seen that so many times with so many situations where the it's the very people who come in trying to help that end up getting attacked. You you never see the addict go this crack, you know, and I'm you know, or my my alcoholism or whatever, you know. I'm getting angry at it because it is the taskmaster. Now you shove the people who love you away, and you run right back to the taskmaster who is wrecking and destroying you. And Moses. It gets to experience what it's like to be with people who are utterly enslaved and un- they're just not ready to leave a taskmaster who is wrecking them. And it would have been hard to because it certainly would have looked at this particular time like that was not a good option. How could I leave this Pharaoh right now? It's going to make things even worse. So they're white knuckling, death gripping their slavery and lashing out at the one who's come to deliver them.
1: Yeah, it's crazy how often we'll take the known, even if it's bad for us, over the unknown. Mm-hmm. Yeah, even when you put it like that, like, oh, you know, one is obviously dramatically different, one's obviously better, but in this moment they're like, it seems like only Pharaoh can bail us out. It just doesn't feel like God has control of the situation, so we're going to go to him. Yeah, he's the, he's the only one that's proven to have power in my life
0: sadly, he always uses that power for destructive purposes, you know, to, to wreck me. Um, and, but that's, that's where they're at. So they're angry. You you know, let the Lord look on you and judge. And they're so arrogant. They're so certain that Moses has done them wrong that they're like, you know, let the Lord come here. Look at both of us. Look at this situation. God would judge you for what you've done to us. Um, you you've made things worse for us. And then Moses, of course, you know, it's like the domino flowing back the other way. Pharaoh oppresses them. They oppress Moses. And now Moses is gonna go lay it at God's feet. Then Moses turned to the Lord and said, Oh Lord, why have you done this evil to this people? Now the word evil there, it's you know, when we hear the word evil, we think that you know, a moral category like Moses is is accusing God of being malicious or, you know, really awful, evil. But in Hebrew, that word um, can mean, like, bad, tragic. Uh, And you see that a lot, actually. So he's like, why are you bringing tragedy on this people? Why did you ever send me? For since I came to Pharaoh to speak in your name, he has done great evil to this people, and you've not delivered your people at all.
1: How do you think God was Moses sending here? the lord doesn't say he was right i think it's interesting that i mean god would prefer anything over our silence i think yep that's where i was going which is interesting that like the people are doing wrong because they're bypassing god and they're only using the human agents to be mad or Mm -hmm. happy with or good or bad whatever that's all they can see but at least moses is like hey god what are you doing Mm -hmm. he's the only one who goes to the lord yeah, he's not he doesn't go to Pharaoh like the people and be like, Hey, did you really have to say that to them? Couldn't you yeah. just like let it go? Like, can we just let this go between us? No, he's like.
0: Yep. And you see that with Job, right? Like when, when Job lays it down, I mean, strong cup of coffee on the Lord, and it makes sure to let you know, and all of this Job did not sin. Or you read the Psalms for goodness' sake, which the Lord gives us to us as his praise book. It's like the, the old testament hymnal. And in it, you have David and the other psalmists that are like, God, what are you doing? Like, why why are you doing this? Why are you taking so long? I mean, they're constantly questioning God. And the Lord is, it's like, "I, I want that in my scriptures, actually. I want my people to have that voice when they come to me in worship, because there's going to be moments where you are confused, where you're disappointed, where you can't make sense of things. And it's okay to voice that. It's okay. And Moses is coming going like, "What, Lord, you're causing tragedy. You're not delivering them. Why did you ever call me in the first place? And Moses doesn't run away. He doesn't quit. He doesn't say, here's my resignation. I'm refusing to serve or follow you anymore, which is important because that would be sin. But struggling is okay. Like, if you don't struggle, you're going to collapse under the weight of ministry. If you if you don't ever go and wrestle with the Lord and say, "God, like none of this makes sense." This is the reason why I was terrified to come here. Now all of my my worst fears are coming. I don't want, I don't want to do this anymore. I had a perfectly peaceful life in the Midianite wilderness. I was willing to come because I thought you were going to deliver them, but now look, they're angry at me. They hate me. Pharaoh is not budging. Why did you send me? Like what is this accomplishing? and then to allow the Lord to work and to move and to address you and to allow his, his actions, even if it's not you know an immediate word, but what's going to come in the following days, weeks, months, and years of your life to answer those questions, God is always kind of faithfully showing you that he knows better than you. And Moses will ultimately learn that, even though these people never stop being obstinate. There's, it's like they're they're a mess. The people of God are always messy, always, and that that's what makes ministry difficult. Because it's not like you come into the church and all of a sudden you're a glorified saint. Yeah, you still got a long way to go in the sanctification process, just like your pastors. And it's a bunch of messy people doing life together, hurting each other, frustrating each other. And sometimes God doesn't show up on our timetable, and, sometimes, and that can be frustrating and hard. So I hope this doesn't come across these last couple episodes as like like a pastor on the couch crying out for help, because uh, it's not. I've come to terms with what ministry means and looks like. Um, and it's worth it. So verse, six, or chapter six, verse one, it says, "But the Lord said to Moses, and so God doesn't come and say, "How?" dare you you know he he comes to moses and is going to have a conversation and he basically takes moses back to his promises which today, i don't know like if this is going to help moses much because <laughs> he doesn't want more promises he wants action
1: yeah he doesn't answer anything that moses has a real issue with he's like all right that happened now yeah now god's like i'm moving <laughs> on
0: which is nice i think yeah. it says the lord said to moses now you shall see what i will do to pharaoh which is like, dude, you you said this last time that you were going to do big things and you were going to bring the plagues and show your strong arm. He says, now you shall see what I will do to Pharaoh, for with a strong hand he will send them out, and with a strong hand he will drive them out of his land. And God spoke to Moses and said to him, I am the Lord. I appeared to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob as God Almighty, but by my name the Lord... I did not make myself known to them. I also established my covenant with them to give them the land of Canaan, the land in which they lived as sojourners. Moreover, I've heard the groaning of the people of Israel, whom the Egyptians hold as slaves, and I have remembered my covenant. Say therefore to the people of Israel, I am the Lord, and I will bring you out under, from under the burdens of the Egyptians, and I will deliver you from slavery And so if you're Moses, like, I I want to stop for a moment because this is what the Lord does with us too. And sometimes it's entirely unsatisfying. Moses is having it out with the Lord. I want this. This is going wrong. And God comes and says, oh, remember, remember all those promises that, that when we were together in the Sinai wilderness at the burning bush, I told you all this stuff about who I am and what I'm going to do and and what my nature is and what my character is and wh- all the the promises that are in store for you. I'm just going to repeat that again, which means what? That's enough. As frustrating as that is for believers, because we want God to just fix it, yeah. God changed my circumstance, and God's saying, "Oh, you're you're in a really hard season." Well it's not necessarily gonna change my timetable but here's here's what i can do for you i'm going to remind you of my promises <laughs>
1: yeah
0: right i mean how how often do you come to a situation where you have nothing to hang your hat on but the promises of god mm. i mean you're not you're not god's timetable's coming you know within a year all this stuff is going to be set into motion. God's going to prove faithful. It's coming. It is coming. He's going to make good on his promises. And 40 years after this, he's going to lead the people into the promised land, just like he said. But Moses, who wants resolution to this now because it's really uncomfortable to live in the unsettled, God comes and says, stop, remember my promise. That's what's going to get you through. And that, I mean, that's God's remedy here. Is Let me just remind you of promises. So, when we're in those situations where we want God to move and he's not, guess what God's remedy for us would be? Go back and look at the promises and let your heart settle in them. Believe them. Trust them. Know them. That will help you to work your way through the really, really hard season.
1: Yeah, I think even... Even if we're looking at the Bible, like, what, we're six chapters in Exodus, and we did 50 chapters on Genesis, and there's a lot more waiting than action in all of those chapters. That's true. Like, you look at the story of Abraham, and, I mean, we're still waiting on the land portion, the promise from Abraham, still. (laughs) It's true. So it is interesting how, man, there's a lot more waiting for movement than actual movement, and the waiting's obviously completely worth it. Mm Mm-hmm. But it is like we do have to just reconcile with ourselves whether we like it or not. Like I may be in more waiting than ever, mm-hmm. and I have to learn how to do that well. Totally.
0: And, it, and it's like being, learning, I'm trying to figure out how to say this, to, to gain the strength in your faith to where you genuinely believe that when God makes a promise, it's, happen. it's as good as done. It's, it's sealed. You may not have it yet. But take comfort in knowing that you have it. It's sealed. It's like you know. I love that in Ephesians. I I mentioned this in the when I was speaking in church a couple of weeks ago. But where in Ephesians, I love that when Christ talks about what He's purchased for us, that we you know we were crucified with Him, we were risen with Him, we ascended with Him, we are seated in the heavenly places with Him. And it's like, wait a minute, I don't, I'm not seated in the heavenly places, but it's talking about we were seated with him in the heavenly places, past tense, talking about how certain our present and future realities are. Um, but that's, just, that's, that's the way that the scriptures are. It's like the prophets speak about future things in past tense because it's like they're as good as done. And so coming to the promises of God and really soaking in them, trusting in them, and sitting in them, when the, the here and now is not so pleasant. And that's what Paul, when Paul is suffering, what does he do? He's like, all these present sufferings are not worthy to be compared with the glories that will be revealed in Christ Jesus. So you look at the early church, when they're in the midst of great suffering, what are they looking forward to? The promises. The promise, the promise, the promise, the promise. And so it seems frustrating when Moses is like, God, I need you to show up. And God's like, let me, let me walk you through the promises again that's God's remedy for the waiting before he actually delivers.
1: And I don't know, it feels good that this is not just a modern problem. Yeah. I know we live in far more instant gratification than ever before, but even Moses is yeah. just like, oh, come on. Yeah,
0: if you showed up, like the modern day thing, like, man, I wish God would just move like he moved back then. Like, if you showed up and talk, had a time machine and you showed up at this moment and said that to Moses, he'd probably punch you and bury you in the sand. like... <laughs> Like I do, are you kidding? Like I've been waiting for God to move. He's not moving. My life is coming unglued right now. What do you mean? Like he had all the same struggles of faith and waiting and patience and all that stuff. Um, he did get to see some pretty amazing things when these promises came through, but he had to wait on them. It took a second. It took a second. So Moses spoke thus to the people of Israel, which is amazing. Like, here's he's he's faithful. He's sucking it all right. (laughs) You know, all right, God, God thinks these promises are good enough. Um, But they didn't listen to Moses. So remember his big fear the people won't listen to me? He gets there at first and they do listen, but now his worst fears are right. He's coming and not only does Pharaoh hate him, but all the people aren't listening to him because of their broken spirit and their
1: harsh slavery that they are
0: throwing themselves to
1: do you think when it says they didn't listen to moses that they now believe that moses is not speaking for god
0: yeah okay i think when they say you know may god judge between you and you and us what they're saying is you're clearly not on the side of god yeah if god if the real god could show up right now and judge between us he would be on our side and condemning you so we're done with you and when they when they shut their ears to, to everything he's done, what basically what's saying is, and and God knows this. Like Moses is going to have to be validated through what God does, not what Moses can do. And that's, I mean, that as modern day pastors, that should still be the case. You you don't come to the Lord because Will is articulate or Sam is articulate. You come to the Lord because He called you. Yeah. Um. And that's what it's that's what it's going to take. God is going to have to do things and break or soften these people's heart to validate the ministry of Moses again. It's not, There's nothing Moses can do at this point. So the Lord said to Moses, go in, tell Pharaoh, king of Egypt, to let the people of Israel go out of his land. And if you're Moses, like, I've tried. Come on, dude. Like, I already went through this, but God has already told him, you know, that this is going to be a series of these so this shouldn't be a surprise, but it wouldn't have made it any easier because this is like, man, is he going to double down on the slavery again? Like, what are you setting the people up for? Like, I don't think this is a good idea, God, but Moses, faithful, obedient, even though he's struggling, does it. It says, Moses said to the Lord, Behold, the people of Israel have not listened to me. How then shall Pharaoh listen to me? For I am of uncircumcised lips, and there's part of me that thinks the whole reason why all this rigmarole and pain and everything else had to be done is Moses, remember, he did not circumcise his own children, and yet he's walking into Egypt as a spokesman for God and everything else. This is the first time, you know, everything else prior to this is like, well, I'm, I'm slow of speech, they're not going to listen to me, da-da-da-da-da. This is the first time where Moses is like, you don't understand, I'm broken. I am entirely inadequate. I have unclean lips. Does that sound familiar? Like this is when God calls the prophet Isaiah. This is the prophet Isaiah's breaking moment is woe is me for I am undone for I am a, a man of unclean lips, like ceremonially unclean lips. I can't speak God's word. I'm not worthy to do that. I'm messy. I'm gross. I, like you don't know what's in my heart. And here's Moses who's like, how's Pharaoh going to listen to me? Like, I, I, I'm not a holy person. I don't have the moral authority to call him to listen to me. I have uncircumcised lips. And I think this is when Moses actually begins to humble himself in a way that is going to make his ministry far more fruitful. I think all, anybody going into ministry has to get to the point where you recognize this. And in Isaiah's case, the brilliance of that is you have the angel that takes the, the coal from the altar and places it on his lips, and that coal on the altar would have been blood covered. And it has to be God that validates and cleanses your mouth to make your speech a vessel for what he can do through it. And so Moses has hit his, Lord, I need you to do a work in me first you know because right now it's just not my kids who are uncircumcised like my heart my lips my everything about me is out of peace with you but the lord spoke to moses and aaron and gave them a charge about the people of israel and about pharaoh king of egypt to bring the people of israel out of the land of egypt and so here you have moses saying no god you don't understand i'm too dirty I'm I'm not good enough. I can't do this. It'll it'll never work with me. Don't you know how faulty I am? And God's response is, I didn't make a mistake when I called you. I am going to accomplish everything that I promised you about the people of Israel and about Pharaoh. No matter how unworthy you feel, I did not make a mistake when I called you Moses. I'm not giving up on you. <sighs> like that's Pretty awesome. And it's from this point forward that God actually begins to give Moses victory after victory after victory after victory over Pharaoh. Um, And he begins to validate his ministry.
1: I think it's interesting that you say that because it does seem like every time Moses now brings up like, Oh, but this issue, but this issue, and God kind of just like moves on. Mm -hmm. Like he never actually goes back to talk about that. It is like a super sweet thing that he's doing. Like, no. No. Like we've already handled you, like all of your opinions about yourself that are utterly changing all the time. Like my opinion of you is not changing. Like, mm-hmm. like I chose you. I'm going to make this happen. So just stop. It's very gospel. Yeah. You know,
0: here's Moses, the one who's going to bring the law, and he's he's condemning and accusing himself and saying, I don't measure up. And God doesn't say, Oh, yes, you do, Moses. You're the best. You're you're. you're I'm so lucky to have you on my team. <laughs> like God is like, Well, you're right. You know, you 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 really. You really don't measure up, Moses, and you really are kind of messy. But here's the good news. God uses messy people, and you're mine, and you're going to do amazing things. And you're a work in progress, sure, but I'm not done with you. I'm not done with the people of Israel. I'm not done with the Egyptians or the Nubians or all the people that are going to come out with us, but you've got to trust me. Remember those promises? Keep your eyes on those. Because I'm going to accomplish them, and I'm going to use you as my vehicle to do it, even though you are unworthy. And there's great freedom in that. Like There's tremendous freedom that the power of ministry, the power of the Christian's life, is founded in the promise, not in the worthiness of the conduit. (laughs) Because then the promise would never be able to land. Never get done. Would never would never, so it's at that point then verse fourteen where it takes a turn and it begins to describe you know some of the genealogies that are happening here, and at the end, verse twenty eight it jumps back in and it wants to repeat this so it gets repetitive for a purpose it wants you to remember this is where Moses was, Uh, verse twenty eight it says on that day when the Lord spoke to Moses in the land of Egypt the Lord said to Moses I am the Lord tell Pharaoh, king of Egypt, all that I say to you. But Moses said to the Lord, Behold, I am of uncircumcised lips. How will Pharaoh listen to me? And so this is, God is going to say, Do you understand? Like I'm going to make you like a god to Pharaoh. And he intervenes and says, I'm going to use you. It's not about your unworthiness. So it wants you to understand that. And when we get into chapter 7, we see the, the plague start ramping up and God is going to go give Pharaoh some business. <laughs> and he is going to show some of the most fascinating parts of, of all of Exodus to me. He is going to use the 10 plagues to utterly demolish all the pantheon of Egyptian gods. By the time that he is done with the 10th plague, every single Egyptian god is destroyed, and humiliated in the sight of the people. All that to say they're evangelistic in nature. God is wrecking idols to call people to himself. You know, God loves to wreck idols to call people to himself, and a lot of the time we get angry at those that are calling us to salvation because we love our idols and we want to bite Moses' head off when he tells us that he's come to rescue us from our slavery. But maybe it is time to start resonating with this story and seeing God loves you too much. He will come into your life and smash all of your idols to draw you to himself. And he brings people who are are sacrificing greatly to come into your life and to call you away from your idols. And so if that's you, try not to bite at them. They're doing it because they love you and they want to see you free. Amen. All right. Well, thank you so much for joining us today. We will be back next time, launching into the ten plagues with Exodus chapter seven. We hope to join you. Oh, that works. We, we hope should, you say see you, but yeah, we don't C see doesn't them. work. That's I was. That's why I was avoiding it. So <laughs> we hope to talk to you, talk at you. Yeah. Uh, what is the right thing to say now? My brain's broken.
1: It's I don't know. It just doesn't sound good. We're what, well, are we because it's like us, like. Are we talking hope you hear the, us next time. yeah we,
0: like hear us next time on the out of water podcast. Have, have a blessed week.
1: We hope you enjoyed your time with us and you will both subscribe to the
0: podcast and listen regularly. You can find out more about out of water, catch up on past episodes and access show notes at our website riovistachurch dot slash out of water.